Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Monday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, literally Heather. What is up fam? Happy New Year. I am back. And I am very excited to announce that I have some big goals for the upcoming year, including, but not limited to, $250,000 in sales with Palmetto State Armory. So today's deal of the day for the show is a gorgeous stealth AR-15 pistol with carry handle on sale for only $519.99. I absolutely love this gun and I am severely tempted to snag this one for myself. You can do the same at the link in the show description. Now, as I did last year on New Year's Day, I'm going to start off my first show of the new year with the predictions of the late, great Nostradamus. It's like horoscopes, but so vague that you could find a way to make every single bit of it come true. First up, Nostradamus had predicted a naval battle and said that a red adversary will become pale with fear, putting the great ocean in dread. Is China the red adversary? Nostradamus also states that the king of the isles will be driven out by force. Some believe that he was mentioning King Charles III, Um, which is interesting because uh, that gentleman who must not be named, that did not kill himself. There's some documentation coming out tomorrow. And I believe uh, the great uh, Prince Andrew is implicated in this uh, these documents. So this, this could be interesting. We could get some of this right off the bat in the first of the year. Um, in a different passage, Nostradamus said, Soon afterward, a disastrous war A new king shall be anointed who for a long time will appease the earth. Of course, what prediction would be even remotely accurate without some climate disaster predictions? Nostradamus has predicted that it will get worse. A passage from his predictions read, quote, The dry earth will grow more parched, and there will be great floods when it is seen. So you're going to be thirsty AF, but then you'll be flooded, so it will be okay. Last but not least, according to his predictions, the world could soon see a replacement for Pope Francis. Nostradamus wrote, Through the death of a very old pontiff, a Roman of good age will be elected. Of him, it will be said that he weakens his see." But long will he sit and in bidding, biting activity, whatever that nonsense means. But Catholics, be on the lookout, I guess. Um, Now that we've gotten that out of the way, I figured I'd let you know what the Brits have to say about obesity. It's no secret. Obesity is the most prevalent epidemic affecting the Western world. But one obesity organization's leaders have an idea to curtail the problem, and some people are raising their eyebrows. It's quite right to urge the waist measurements be now taken annually 
From the time a child first goes to school, Tam Fry, chair of the National Obesity Forum in the UK, told The Telegraph. Fry's comment referenced guidance published by the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence in April, which urged everyone age five and up to conduct waist measurements to ensure the number is less than half their height. In the article published Monday, Fry remarked on an alarming trend indicating that women's waist sizes have increased by three inches since the 1990s. The figures for both men and women are alarming. Too many of us are eating as though it's Christmas Day every day, he said, acknowledging that getting a head start on measuring young children can help keep an eye on the number to help prevent a slew of diseases associated with having too much visceral or deeper internal fat, including type 2 diabetes and kidney disease. But the solution, following an example set by Japan, which clocks in with a significantly lower obesity rate of 4.97%, compared to Americans at 36.47% and Britons at 27.88%, would involve measures seen as extreme by some. Move over, body positivity. Shaming is back on the menu. Uh, He said, Britain could learn from other countries such as Japan, which insist workers' wastes are measured under the Metabo law with employers fined if the measurement is too high. The Metabo law, named after the lesser-known condition metabolic syndrome that includes a cluster of weight-related ailments, high blood pressure, elevated cholesterol, excessive abdominal fat, a poor cellular response to the insulin hormone, etc., aims to prevent more serious conditions such as heart disease and stroke that can come later in life. If you have a metabolic syndrome or any of the components of metabolic syndrome, aggressive lifestyle changes can delay or even prevent the development of serious health problems. The law mandates that all employees aged between 45 and 74 have their waistlines measured by their employer annually and receive guidance if they do not lose weight after three months. But despite rumors, Japanese citizens themselves cannot be fined or imprisoned for being overweight. That responsibility falls upon the employer themselves. So what does that mean? You don't hire fat people. Efforts to curb obesity rates in Western nations have fallen flat as the number of obese persons, including children, continues to rise. According to the United Kingdom's House of Commons Library, for instance, 10.1% of British children aged 4 to 5 were considered obese in 2021 and 2022. And nearly a quarter, or 23.4% of children aged 10 to 11 were obese. I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on this one. Should employers be measuring their employees' waistlines? What about schools measuring children's waistlines? Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know what you think about this one. The next subject is redundant, and I know that. But I'm not going to stop talking about it because I think the goal is to desensitize us, to get us to stop caring. 
to boil us, fellow frogs, in the pot of hot water. U.S. immigration officials along the southern border are on track to process more than 300,000 migrants in December, an all-time monthly high that will likely include record number of families traveling with children. The extraordinary number of migrant arrivals this month is the most dire juncture yet of a three-year-long crisis. How long has Joe Biden been in office again? Oh, that's right. At the U.S.-Mexico border that has strained resources in small and large U.S. communities, left countless migrants in limbo, prompted lawmakers to consider drastically limiting asylum and created a major political vulnerability for President Biden as he seeks re-election because Joe Biden's political vulnerability is exactly what we should be worried about right now. U.S. Border Patrol agents at the Mexican border are on course to take into custody this month, well, last month, I guess, a quarter of a million migrants who entered the country illegally. While their colleagues at official ports of entry are expected to process roughly 50,000 new arrivals under a Biden administration appointment system. Never before has U.S. Customs and Border Protection processed that many migrants along the southern border in one month, according to tallies going back all the way to 2000. The previous monthly high in overall crossings at the southern border was recorded in September when the agency processed 270,000 migrants at and in between ports of entry. We have agents working overtime, but only for processing. Pretty much every case that goes to the U.S. attorney gets adjudicated as asylum. They don't want to talk about that part. In the first 28 days of December, Border Patrol agents processed nearly 235,000 migrants who... Illegal aliens. This change of language, right? Like, they're migrants who cross the southern border illegally in between ports of entry average roughly 8,400 apprehensions each day. The preliminary Department of Homeland Security statistics show that if this pace continues, Border Patrol will report roughly 260,000 apprehensions in the month of December, which is a record high. While the administration credited this approach for a two-year low in migrant apprehensions in June, the strategy has faltered in recent months as the immigration system buckles under the weight of unprecedented migration flows. Officials, for example, do not have the manpower and resources to screen and detain all migrants who would be subjected to the asylum restriction. In fact, government figures indicate that most migrants who enter the U.S. illegally in recent months have been released with court notices without any asylum screenings. On average, these court cases take years to complete due to a massive backlog of claims. The immigration court system is staffed by fewer than 800 immigration judges. They are overseeing 3 million pending cases. The question that sits on my thoughts is how long can we consistent how long can we sustain these levels? You already have sanctuary, in in quotations, sanctuary cities saying no more to your huddled masses. Where is the breaking point and what does that look like for our country? 
Legislation that Utah enacted earlier this year will require social media users to verify their age in order to access their accounts, putting restrictions on when and how users under 18 could access social media sites. This is currently facing legal challenges from a trade group that represents Meta, TikTok, and X. First Amendment advocates have also argued the law, which is to go into effect in 2024, infringes on free speech rights. Rates of loneliness, anxiety, and depression have shot up across America, and social media is absolutely one of the causes, Governor Spencer Cox of Utah says. I think it's obvious to anyone who spends time on social media or has kids. I have four kids, not me personally, this is Mr. Cox speaking, but I've seen what's happened to them as they've spent time on social media and their friends. And this is absolutely causing these terrible increases, these hockey stick-like increases that we're seeing in anxiety, depression, and self-harm amongst our youth. They know this is harming our kids. They're covering it up. They're doing everything possible to take advantage of our kids for their own gain. And we're not going to stand for that. And so we're still pushing forward. Now, Colorado Governor Jared Polis, who is a Democrat, actually agreed with Cox on the role that social media plays in fueling the mental health crisis in the country. But policing social media should be left up to parents, Polis said. I think the responsibility belongs with parents, not the government, and I certainly agree with the diagnosis that Governor Cox did, and I have some sympathy for that approach, but I do not think, at the end of the day, that the government can parent kids. This brings up a valid argument that we've actually tossed back and forth in Liberty Happy Hour numerous times. Should the government step in and make decisions that parents should be making with raising their children? What if... The decisions are demonstrably bad for children. There are legal ramifications for abuse, but what qualifies as child abuse? Is giving impressionable teens unfettered access to social media the equivalent to child abuse? If that child becomes depressed and kills themselves? It's worth asking these questions, I think. You guys know I'm never going to champion the government becoming involved in decisions that I make with my children. But I also will not pretend that all parents are good parents. And so the question remains. And in another questionable move made by the government to get involved in private matters starting today, shell companies and LLCs that do business in the United States will have to fully disclose who is behind them and who actually owns the assets. This is a federal law aimed at making anonymous business dealings in the United States essentially a thing of the past. The Corporate Transparency Act was a pet project of Florida Senator Marco Rubio, who raised alarm at over $1 billion connected to top Venezuelan officials flooding the real estate market in Miami. Some of those cases resulted in federal indictments and convictions, but The use of anonymous shell companies has long been a headache for law enforcement trying to track down the origin of questionable money and business dealings. I'm reminded of the unlicensed Chinese laboratory in California that was a national disaster waiting to happen. 
In late December, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, which is a branch of the Department of the Treasury, announced that key regulations connected to the law have been finalized. Starting on New Year's Day, or today, shell companies and LLCs that do business in the U.S. will have to fully disclose who is behind them and who owns the assets. This final rule is a significant step forward in the efforts to protect our financial system and curb illicit activities. FinCEN Director Andrea Gacki said in a statement, Beneficial ownership information can provide essential information to law enforcement, intelligence, and national security professionals as they work to protect the United States from bad actors who exploit anonymous shell companies to engage in money money laundering, corruption, sanctions, tax evasion, drug trafficking, fraud, and a host of other criminal offenses with impunity. While legitimate businesses suffer from their misdeeds, companies that have existed prior to today will have until January 1st of 2025 to report the information. Companies started after that date will have 90 days to file the disclosures with the federal government. Those details will be searchable by banks and the federal government to prevent money laundering, tax evasion, and keep corrupt foreign politicians from avoiding U.S. sanctions through anonymous real estate transactions. While the final regulation was in the public comment phase, real estate agents, title agents, and journalist groups asked for access to the database. Commenters asked for the general public to have access to the database as well. Those requests were denied by FinCEN. Shocker. Transparency for the common man? How dare you even ask? Starting in 2016, FinCEN ran a pilot program requiring that anonymous shell companies buying pricey real estate in Miami-Dade County and Manhattan needed to disclose their true owners. Economists who studied the impact of the 2016 regulation found that corporate all-cash sales of real estate properties dropped by a whopping 95%. The pilot was considered such a success in cracking down on potential anonymous bad actors that Rubio pushed to further de-anonymize shell companies across the entire country. Democratic U.S. Senators Sheldon Whitehouse and Ron Wyden strongly supported the idea. After passage, Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts has become one of the reporting requirements' most vocal supporters. The bill was attached to the National Defense Authorization Act of 2021 that was passed by Congress in December of 2020. Former President Trump vetoed that law over provisions that would rename military bases and other facilities that had names connected to the Confederacy, but both houses of Congress voted to override the veto, and it became a law in January of 2021. Again, I find this interesting. This is government getting involved in private sector, and I wonder, you know, they talk about it's for national security and to prevent, you know, foreign companies from doing that. And I can see where that's a problem and it would be beneficial for us to be able to find that information. However, 
Uh, I could also see this being used against American citizens, especially from a political perspective. So when I start seeing like Elizabeth Warren and Sheldon Whitehouse signing on to legislation coming from a Republican senator, I start to get a little bit concerned. When they agree with one another, it's never good for us. Uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un wrapped the year up with fresh threats of a nuclear attack on Seoul and orders for a military arsenal buildup to prepare for a war that can, quote, break out at any time on the peninsula. Kim lambasted the United States during a lengthy speech at the end of five days of year-end party meetings that set his country's military, political, and economic policy decisions for the year. The meeting announced plans for further military development in the coming year, including launching three more spy satellites, building unmanned drones, and developing electronic warfare capabilities, as well as strengthening nuclear and missile forces. Pyongyang this year successfully launched a reconnaissance satellite, enshrined its status as a nuclear power in its constitution, and test-fired the most advanced intercontinental ballistic missile in its arsenal. At the meeting that ended on Saturday, Kim accused the United States of posing various types of military threat and ordered his armed forces to maintain, quote, overwhelming war response capability. It is a fait accompli that the war can break out at any time on the Korean Peninsula due to reckless moves by the enemies to invade us. In an effort to deter Pyongyang, Washington earlier this month deployed a nuclear-powered submarine in the South Korean port city of Busan and flew its long-range bombers in drills with Seoul and Tokyo. The North has previously described the deployment of Washington's strategic weapons, such as B-52 bombers, in joint drills on the Korean Peninsula as the, quote, intentional nuclear war provocative moves. We must respond quickly to a possible nuclear crisis and continue to accelerate preparations to pacify the entire territory of South Korea by mobilizing all physical means and forces, including nuclear force, in case of emergency, Kim said. At the meeting, Kim said he would no longer seek reconciliation and reunification with South Korea, noting the persisting uncontrollable crisis situation, which he said was triggered by Seoul and Washington. Inter-Korean relations have deteriorated to a low point this year, with Pyongyang's spy satellite launch prompting Seoul to partially suspend a 2018 military agreement aimed at diffusing tensions. I believe that it is a mistake that we should no longer make to consider the people who declare us as the main enemy as a counterpart for reconciliation and unification. Kim ordered the drawing up of measures for reorganizing departments handling cross-border affairs to fundamentally shift the direction. Pyongyang declared itself an irreversible nuclear power last year and has repeatedly said it will never give up its nukes program, which the regime views as essential for its survival. The United Nations Security Council has adopted many resolutions calling on North Korea to halt its nuclear and ballistic missile programs since it first conducted a nuclear test in 2006. 
this would all be less concerning. Uh, Obviously, the economic success of North Korea is bleak. And so I think oftentimes, especially towards the end of the year, uh, they're much inclined to flex for their own country's sake. Uh, But in a joint announcement, a vowed further development of cooperation between China and North Korea came out yesterday. And I think that's at least notable. We know they're working together, but when they put out joint statements together, like they're really working together. (laughs) Um, And in the new year, the moral decay and disintegration kicks off as strong as as it possibly could. University of Wisconsin lacrosse chancellor was dismissed due to his involvement making porn with his wife. He unapologetically, I might add, has expressed his contemplation of pursuing legal recourse against the institution. Furthermore, he has affirmed his steadfast commitment to maintaining his adult content platform. Joe Gao, a former university chancellor who produced and performed in explicit online material on multiple pornographic public platforms alongside his wife, asserted that his dismissal by the university's Board of Regents was an infringement upon his academic freedom. Gao maintained that his termination was unjust, as he believed he was exercising his constitutionally protected right to free speech. Well, I mean, just go plagiarize a bunch of stuff and you could be the president of the entire university. Uh, The couple has additionally published two books chronicling their adventures in various forms of consensual non-monogamy within the adult entertainment industry. We believe our books and videos are protected by the First Amendment and certainly the Board of Regents have a policy on commitment to academic freedom and freedom of expression that would protect these kinds of materials, Gao said. Since his termination from his, from his position at the public institution, Gao has been contacted by free speech lawyers and organizations offering assistance and representation should Gao decide to take legal action against the university, an option which, as I stated before, he is currently exploring. Gao was a long-standing member of the university community for nearly two decades, faced termination on Wednesday following the revelation of his involvement in a provocative YouTube channel, as well as explicit accounts on platforms like OnlyFans and Loyal Fans. These accounts showcased videos of Gao and his wife, Carmen Wilson, engaging in intimate activities with adult film performers, following scenes of them sharing meals together. In a statement, the University of Wisconsin System Regent President Karen Walsh said, of course her name is Karen, the board is charged with the stewardship of our great universities of Wisconsin. Unfortunately, Dr. Joe Gao has shown a reckless disregard for the role he was entrusted with at UW Lacrosse to serve students, faculty, and staff in the campus community. The outrage over his behavior is evidenced by the unanimous vote by the UW Board of Regents to terminate him as chancellor. We are alarmed and disgusted by his actions, which were wholly and undeniably inconsistent with his role as chancellor. 
we got into this because we were both married before we had unhappy marriages and we got together and we found that this was something that made us both happy and was interesting to do. I never thought it would kind of blow up with a board of regents like this. Gao told uh, the messenger in an exclusive interview. We didn't get into this to make money. We actually have spent a lot of money of our own making our books and videos. The couple remains steadfast in their commitment to maintaining their online presence undeterred by the recent wave of criticism. While they remain resolute in keeping their accounts active, the duo expressed uncertainty regarding the prospect of producing new adult content beyond their existing video repertoire. What we do on our own time and with our own money, we should be able to do when it's not hurting anyone, Carmen said. It's not pushed to anyone. People have to seek it out, and they want to seek it out. On Thursday, Gao and Wilson asserted that they believe their termination from their respective positions was directly linked to the dissemination of the explicit videos, which were shared under the username Sexy Happy Couple. The couple maintained that their constitutional right to freedom of speech was infringed upon by the university's punitive measures in response to their video productions. Regarding First Amendment rights, Ken Paulson, who is the director of free speech, um, the Free Speech Center at Middle Tennessee State University, acknowledges the merit in the contention that the publication of the explicit videos is indeed safeguarded. However, the crux of the matter lies in determining whether this constitutional protection extends to an individual in a position of authority within the realm of higher education who appears to have refrained from taking any action that contradicts the University of Wisconsin's best interests. Paulson asserted that the matter of individuals within educational settings engaging in the production of adult content online remains largely unexplored, thereby potentially providing Gao with a legitimate basis for contestation. Gao contends the university fired him abruptly, without any prior notice or opportunity to present his perspective in a formal hearing. Gao says the recent termination has sparked a polarized response, eliciting both expressions of encouragement and criticism. They don't have to agree with us, he said, but to say that I should lose my job, that's another matter. There was no due process. I was not informed of any policy that I violated, he said. There are the classical exceptions to the First Amendment, but having material that explores consensual adult sexuality, we should be able to talk about that at a college campus. When asked if he was held to a different standard as the chancellor of the university and the face of the university in many ways, Gao responded, I'm not sure. My guess is that this will end up getting settled out of court, but I would be lying if I didn't laugh at the prospect of SCOTUS having to hear this case. That is your Monday edition of everything yesterday this morning. I am so thankful that you guys joined me today. Don't forget to check out that pistol at the Palmetto State Armory link that I put in the show description. You guys take care. 
and have a wonderful day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.